Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah, a registered associate nutritionist and your favourite crazy bean. Full of Beans is on a mission to reduce eating disorder stigma and increase eating disorder awareness. Together, we will establish inspiring conversations with a range of individuals, including those with personal experience and their loved ones, as well as clinicians, researchers and charities who are all working to increase the understanding of eating disorders. Using my personal battle with atypical anorexia and body dysmorphia, as well as my Masters in Eating Disorders and Clinical Nutrition, we will together explore the experiences of like-minded individuals who are equally as passionate about sharing their stories to increase the understanding of eating disorders. Please note that this podcast discusses sensitive topics and should not be seen as a replacement for evidence-based therapy or treatment. Today I am joined by the very talented Katie Barbaro, the author and illustrator of the handwritten memoir Fed Up, an illustrated guide to food freedom. In her book, That Feels Like Her Diary, Katie exposes the nitty-gritty details of her experience with compulsive over-exercising, calorie counting and bulimia in a way that helps you question whether what you always thought was true is actually true. As well as her fabulous book, Katie is also an occupational therapist coaching individuals to assess their own inner wisdom. With this comes a lot of fun, as Katie also has 16 years of comedy experience, so I think we're in for a treat today. Hello, Katie. Hello, Hannah. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you so much for coming on. And I first things first, very excited to say that we have gone global, in fact. So that's really exciting. <laughs> Woohoo! I'm very happy. I'm honored to be your foreign guest. <laughs> <laughs> Are you feeling good? Oh, I'm feeling great. I'm so excited to be chatting with you. I, I love your mission and your podcast and it's an honor to share my story with you. Oh, thank you very much. So first things first, I really want to talk about your book or you know, your handwritten memoir. So I wanted to firstly ask, what was it, you know, what was your motivation that made you want to write such a beautiful memoir of your experience with your eating disorder? Oh, thank you um, for your kind words. Yeah, that's a great question. And I would love to say, (laughs) I would love to say because I want other people to feel less alone who are going through similar things like eating disorders and being, you know, just kind of caught in a, a whole cultural lie, basically, that diet culture feeds us. And that feels like the truth, but it's not. That was a big reason why I wanted to write it. But truthfully, I wrote it so that I could make more space in myself. Mm-hmm. Like the experience of having an eating disorder and moving through it, moving through recovery is this huge, like massive shift. Like I went through a huge paradigm shift in what my life was and I felt like I was carrying around this huge, the story was like a huge mass inside of me and I could feel it. I could feel weighed down by it. And it was so clear to me that this wanted to be moved through me and processed. And I love using creativity as a way of processing what seems impossible to understand putting into words and images yeah what what feels like how do I describe to somebody what I went through here and so yeah I think that's what 
made me write the book. And was it something that you did throughout the process of recovery? Or did you one day think, I want to write a book, and then sort of remember things that happened? I journal a lot, and I draw a lot. I do, yeah, so I have this practice of, like, the way that I connect to myself and to my higher self, my whatever you want to call it, the universe, the way that I can connect to what is true for me is oftentimes on the page. So doing morning pages, which is something I learned from Julia Cameron's book, The Artist's Way, where you write three pages of stream of consciousness every morning. Like that was something that really helped me get in touch with myself. Um, You you basically write three pages of stream of consciousness Mm -hmm. in the morning, first thing when you wake up. And so what it does is helps you get in touch with your subconscious thoughts that like aren't usually readily available because, you know, we might think weird stuff in our subconscious. Like we don't, you don't really know what stories are running the show underneath what you, uh, who you think you are. Mm -hmm. And so writing these pages and just like letting yourself be messy, letting yourself like just word vomit everything out, not to be, not to make a bulimia joke, but literally it is that process of just like expressing, expressing, expressing. And in that you kind of find the stories that you're telling yourself. You you find these, you get to like look at what's been inside of you um, and then determine what, what of that is true and what of that is is not you and that needs to be shed. So I found that to be a really helpful process. And then I also started drawing, which was a way of, I mean, I'm also a comedian. So I also, I've also i I've used comedy as well to like make, make sense of things that yeah. seem like they don't make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, drawing comics was also a way of doing that where I was like, oh, this is what my this is what bulimia looks like. And this is what it says. And this is what my brain says back or whatever it is. Like it helps me actually externalize some of that like internal chatter. I think often, even if you don't have an eating disorder, just in general life, sometimes you can be so consumed by what you're thinking and what's going on in your head. Just getting it down onto paper can be really helpful to understand what's going on. But for me, I really struggle with words like describing things and drawing it just even if it's the most rubbish drawing you've ever done before it's almost just like scribbling that down and getting it out and then being able to say to yourself this is what you're feeling not even for anybody else just yourself to say this is what's happening right now and here's a picture of it rather than it like being at every corner of every element of your brain so true. Yes. And I love that you said like, it could be a rubbish drawing. Yes. Like <laughs> that's honestly how I feel. I mean, my, my cartoons are very fun. Like I like them, but they're not, it's not like I'm an art student. Like I'm not a professional artist. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't have a degree in drawing or anything like that. Like these are just coming from my heart, from my expression. And I guess that's part of why I'm like, I want to share this with other people. Like anybody can do this. You don't have to be a certificate on the wall artist to express yourself in any way that you want. Yeah. I think as well, if you, because it's such an in the moment thing, if you just spend forever trying to get like the right angle or whatever and kept rubbing it out, you kind of lose the meaning of what you're trying to put onto the paper. Exactly. Yeah. You can really get in your own way by focusing on the unimportant details. Mm. Yeah, I found that as a perfectionist, getting rid of that expectation (laughs) of things looking good has been, oh, now I can make things that are actually good. (laughs) You don't have to. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, that's really good. And I think your book did cover, like, there were, it was really, when I was reading it, there were so many things I was like, oh my God, I can't believe that somebody else had this feeling. Um, I think the one that stood out to me the most was, I'm not sure in your picture if you were babysitting, but there was one where you were like, you were sat on the sofa and they said to you, is there anything else you need? And you're like, oh, I can't wait to go through your pantry and have a bite of everything. And I was like, oh my God, that was the highlight of going childminding for me was exploring all these foods that people had that I didn't have in my house. So I honestly, like there was so much that I resonated with your book that I thought it was just incredible. But something I really liked was the idea of control in your book. And I wanted to ask you, because I think often people think eating disorders are about like gaining back control that you feel like out of control in life but do you think it actually puts you in the driving seat and yes also the babysitting <laughs> metaphor I yeah I, I resonate with hard <laughs> like, <laughs> like I can't wait to see your snack drawers um <laughs> so ridiculous yeah that's a it's a great question this idea of control and I guess what comes up for me is like who inside of me am I giving control to? Mm -hmm. Like when the eating disorder was in the driver's seat, that was the part of me that wanted to have control over other people in my life. I wanted to have control over how my body looked, control over like how people perceived me, all of these things that I don't actually have control over. Like that's not in my domain of things I can control. And I guess... In recovery, the control goes back to the to my soul. Mm. Like the control goes back to the part of me that knows what's best for me. And for me, this experience feels like connecting to some power that's greater than myself. Mm -hmm. So it feels like actually instead of being in control, I'm surrendering to wisdom that is higher than me. I'm surrendering to the part of me that knows what I actually need, not just what I think I need. Yeah. And I guess, you know, when you were saying about the kind of control that your eating disorder, you felt like it gave you was with your body and stuff like that. That's all kind of external factors in that that's how you thought you had to look because of how social media thinks you should look and you should eat because what everybody else is telling you to eat. But kind of what you're saying is listening to yourself and what your body needs in that moment. And I think that is, that's when you've got control, when you're doing what you want to do for you. Exactly, yes. It's like, what is, what's best for me? And I feel like a big shift in recovery happened mm -hmm. when I went from asking myself, what should I be doing to what feels good for me to be doing? Like, mm -hmm. does this resonate with me rather than does this make sense to other people? It's like shifting the locus of control or the, the center of power from giving it away to external factors, like you said, to a more, I'm going to put that back into my intuition and my connection to a deeper part of myself. And just on the subject of intuition, something you also talk, spoke about in your book was intuitive eating. And it's something I've always questioned with eating disorder recovery. I think ultimately it's like the end goal. But 
What's your sort of opinion of when to put that in? Because obviously when you are struggling with an eating disorder, your like hunger signals and everything are completely all over the place. And I think sometimes it can be a bit risky to say to somebody, you know, start intuitive eating because <laughs> if you're not separated from your eating disorder yet, intuitive eating is going to be completely different to what it should be. That's an awesome point. So true. Like it depends on who's in the driver's seat, right? Because mm-hmm. if the eating disorder is still yeah. in the driver's seat, it's like, okay, great. I'm going to interpret intuitive eating as a diet yeah. and I'm going to, you know, make sure that this is, uh, you know, that I eat when I'm hungry, stop when I'm full. And those are the new rules. And it's like, that's not what intuitive eating is about. So you're absolutely right that like a certain amount of recovery, like basically recovering the part of you that wants to recover as being in the driver's seat is super necessary for embarking on intuitive eating. I will say, yeah, it can be an intuitive move if you're like, I know right now the voice in my head is my eating disorder voice. Like I don't, I can't really trust myself mm-hmm. with like doing a program like intuitive eating because I don't even know like what eating enough looks like. Mm. Um, That's how I was actually. So before I I ventured into intuitive eating, I first got a nutritionist who gave me a meal plan that I had to follow. And doing that was really healing for me because I had no concept of how much a body of my... (laughs) of my size needed to consume because here I was thinking every single day I was overeating Mm -hmm. and really I was probably wasn't eating enough Mm -hmm. and that's all in my head right so like I didn't have a mind that was giving me accurate information so I needed outside guidance to help me with that and so I guess Mm -hmm. the thing I want to say here is whenever you're embarking on a new plan of eating, whenever you're recovering from disordered eating, whether you have a, an official diagnosis or it's just something that you you know in your heart you have a weird relationship with food, you do not have to do it alone. And there's so much help available to you if you go out and, and look for it. So that's what I would say. I would still actually recommend um, if you're going to be looking for a nutritionist or a dietitian to work with, that working with someone who has a health at every size, intuitive eating lens Mm. is really vital, but I don't necessarily know what they would prescribe for you in your unique situation. Mm. So the biggest thing that I took away from in learning about intuitive eating was that it's such a an individualized process because it's about you tapping into your intuition and getting back in touch with your hunger signals, your fullness signals, the feeling of satiety, how, how it feels to be in your body. And it can be a lifelong process to do that, but it's possible. It's possible to get back there. Like we were all born intuitive eaters, mm. presumably. And so it's, there's no rush to be in a place where you're like, yeah, I just eat whatever I want. Um, and my body knows what I need and whatever. It's like, yeah, that's, that's possible, but it doesn't have to be tomorrow. No. And yeah, don't rush yourself. It's kind of like putting too much pressure on yourself because, you know, I know that intuitive eating has like different aspects of it but in a way if you begin that process too soon I think they can almost become new rules um you know you go from the eating disorder mindset rules and then you've kind of got this 
you must not eat unless you're hungry or like he was saying you must eat until you're satiated and I think Mm. if you're in the wrong mindset that could be quite dangerous and you could get encapsulated into that but actually it's not about that it's about being able to recognize what you want when you want you know if it's I don't know two o'clock and you've just eaten lunch and then someone offers you a cupcake and you really really want one but you're not actually hungry you just you want to taste the cupcake I think to me that's what the intuitive part is it's knowing what you want and not being controlled by any rules around you totally yeah exactly and not feeling like oh my gosh I never I never have cupcakes I have to have it now because Mm -hmm. I'm never going to be able I won't be able to like I would never buy myself a cupcake so since it's offered to me I have to eat it and so like exactly what you're saying it's like it's actually empowering you to make a choice rather than to be ruled by this whatever whatever internal programming you have going on. Yeah. And I will say too, the first step, there's 10 principles mm-hmm. of intuitive eating, which I go over in my book. And also there's a book called Intuitive Eating and they just came out with a fourth edition that has a lot of updated language. And it's I highly recommend it mm. um, to anyone who feels... Um, curious or intrigued by this, but the first principle is to reject the diet mentality. Mm. And so that's the underlying, that's the foundation that this house is built on is like, get it all out. Like we all have our whatever disordered eating over exercising, all these rules. It's like, kick them out, kick them out, kick them out. Like we are I, I, I talk about unbrainwashing ourselves mm. from the cult of diet culture. That's really <laughs> what it's about. To someone listening, if they're like, okay, I can really resonate with this. This is exactly what I'm like and I want to get rid of it. Where do you even begin? Because we are in a society that is literally driven by diet culture. You know, if, if it's not one person saying one thing, it's somebody else saying another. So how do you start to get rid of those thoughts when it's kind of become normalized? It's totally become normalized. That's a great question. Start listening to voices that feel true to you. So yeah, the reason it's become normalized is because the diet culture voices have had the mic for a long time. Yeah, They have the most influence, right? So it's kind of up to us to actually sculpt what's influencing us. Mm. Like if someone's listening to your podcast right now, like high five you guys because you are you're listening to something that is already overwriting some of these programs that you have in your head right you're actively unbrainwashing yourself right now and continue doing that like i've changed my entire instagram feed to be you know, I'm following non-diet dietitians. I'm following women in larger bodies. I love like diversifying my feed so that I'm being exposed to the ideas that I want to reinforce the, the truth that I want to, yeah, bring forward. So that, this is another reason why I wrote my book because I'm like, I want there to be content out in the world that is, yeah, that helps people unpack this. Mm. In a way that's not so, I guess telling people they're brainwashed sounds kind of like intimidating. But I was like, they're just, it's just a bunch of cartoons about bulimia, guys. You're fine. <laughs> it's like, I think that is so true. It is just taking one step at a time, isn't it? Just finding other people that have similar ideas to you and not, not allowing those diet culture voices to be stronger. 
than you know the positive voices that are coming through and I think as as a movement it's becoming so much louder and so many more people are speaking up about it which is fantastic another thing that I really wanted to talk about in your book was how you talk about the fact that you sort of mistook your body for yourself so you kind of used your body as a way to avoid the struggles that were happening internally I think you used them as, as an example like they don't like me because I've got a double chin when realistically it's got nothing to do with anything like that so how can we kind of learn again you know you offering some advice that the way that we look doesn't necessarily what well, doesn't determine what happens in life to us yes again this is such an individualized process mm-hmm. you know this is like really the process of getting quiet with yourself getting really still with yourself and inquiring about the feelings underneath the surface feeling right because it's true I did actually feel physical discomfort that told me like I would have a feeling like the thought was I feel fat you know mm-hmm. fat is not a feeling like I've learned that I know that intellectually but I'm like but I do I'm having this visceral experience a feeling like I'm too big for my skin I feel and also like that's even the sentence I feel fat and implying that fat is a negative thing that has fat phobia inside of it which is part of diet culture and weight stigma and all of that messed up stuff we know all of that but like I'm just talking about being in your body and feeling like something's not right something you know having a negative body image thought that's this it's it's like the the first line of defense that we have um, against whatever this feeling is. It's like oh, this is my body is why I'm feeling this negative emotion. Mm. So knowing that about ourselves, knowing that we use or me knowing that I use my body as a scapegoat for what I'm feeling, it now can be an alert system. So if I get the message, I feel fat then I know I need to look at something that's going on inside. Maybe I need to go journal about it for a little while. You know, maybe like one of the things I had a mentor tell me to do is just lie down on the floor. Like when I feel like, cause this is also the feeling that would often lead to me wanting to binge, you know? And once I really started to, get serious about recovery. And I was like, okay, I'm in this moment where I want to eat all the peanut butter in the world. And she's like, okay, just lie down and put your hands on your stomach and just breathe and ask, what do you need? And just listen. And she was also like, you can set a timer, like set a timer for five minutes and just do this and be like, you can have whatever you want at the end of this, whatever you need, that's going to make you feel better. You know, that you're like convinced that you need to go put your finger in a tub of ice cream right now. Like, I understand that's what you need, but like take this five minutes for yourself and just get quiet, get, ask what's going on and, and see what happens. You know, sometimes it's, it's usually a lot of fear that we're not willing to feel or we're afraid to fear to feel and that's what fear often is it's not actually about something that's threatening us like there is no saber-toothed tiger that's going to come attack us in those moments (laughs) but it's like fear is actually just the the fear of feeling fear Mm -hmm. and 
slowing down and being with that, being with the intensity of my fear in those moments is what makes me feel safer with myself. Mm. It makes me feel like I can trust myself more. Like, okay, I can handle intensity. These things I'm afraid to feel, I can actually feel them. Mm-hmm. right? We're all just, we're just afraid of feeling something. If you decide that there's no feeling too big for me to feel, you are unstoppable. I really like that. I think often it is such an in the moment kind of overwhelming. Oh my God, I don't know how to cope with this situation. So I'm going to turn to my original coping mechanism, which it, it actually isn't beneficial for me it was exercising or not eating and I know for other people it's a range of different things but actually just being able to pause for a second reflect on what's going on and think how can I actually improve the situation for myself that long term is going to actually be an improvement rather than this short term thing that might make me feel good for a little bit but actually long term it's it's going to be pretty detrimental to myself yeah, I love I love phrasing it that way too. Mm-hmm. Like what's am I doing a favor for for future Katie here? Mm-hmm. Like how am I going to feel like even if I sometimes I'll even ask my future self like what to do in a mm-hmm. situation. I'm like how did I get out of this one? <laughs> you know, if if I'm it, also if I'm in a cycle that is just like feels never ending, I'm like okay, so future Katie, who's wildly successful and all of the things, like, how'd you make it through this? Like, how did you? And she usually has good stuff to say. Sometimes I even write her a letter and then receive a letter back. And how does that make you feel when you write those down? It's awesome. It's like, uh, I actually usually start out by thinking this isn't going to work and then it always works. (laughs) So... (laughs) I'm usually like, this sounds like a dumb journal prompt, like, I don't want to do this, and then I do it, and I'm like, oh my god, I feel so much better. (laughs) I think I often, um, you know, sometimes, like last week I was having a bit of a struggle, and I just, I knew that sitting wasn't helping me, I was just getting really caught up in my thoughts, so I went for a walk, and I rang a friend and spoke it through to her, and by the end of the conversation I was like who is this person speaking because she's truly inspiring like she's she's got everything together she knows what she's talking about um and I think that's often the thing isn't it is that we forget what we've been through before and we forget that we've dealt with situations like this and it's almost when you're in that moment you're like this is so brand new I don't know how to cope I'm so anxious I'm I just I need to do something drastic to cure this and then you if you take a second like you just said you think oh my god I've done this before what did I do let's just do that yeah wow I love that that you're like who is this wise woman <laughs> speaking from my body like, <laughs> mm-hmm. isn't that amazing we have survived every challenging moment that has led us up to this point like we are resilient if you're listening to right this right now you're you are resilient yeah, because you've absolutely. made it to, to now you get it you know how to do this and you're so right like there's yeah there might be challenging situations and there might be new challenges of course mm. but like you've made it through every new challenge you've ever had and your track record is like 10 out of 10 you're gonna keep you know 
you're going to keep killing it. (laughs) And I think each time it gets easier, doesn't it? Because the first time it feels like, you know, it's horrifically hard, but if you push through, then you work out what works for you. And then the next time, you know, before it might've taken you three days to sort it out. Whereas the next time and the next time after that, then you're down to like 10 minutes and thinking, well, it doesn't really phase me that much anymore. Totally. Yeah. The re like the time between your, uh, like being able to implement the thing that you need to do mm-hmm. kind of like gets shorter and shorter. And then all of a sudden it's instantaneous and it's no longer something you even have to think about. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And you speak a lot on Instagram about binary thinking and kind of comparing yourself to others. So can you explain, you know, why you think that is unhealthy and how you could maybe suggest to step away from those negative beliefs? Totally. Yeah. So to, talk a little bit about what binary thinking means and what stepping into non-binary thinking is like binary thinking is anytime there's two or by there's two opposing sides. Mm. So this versus this us versus them red versus blue, whatever, like that they're in opposition to each other. And so mm, thinking in terms of binary or there's two sides to something is inherently limiting for us mm-hmm. because it's it's uh, putting us against something else, right? Or assuming that uh, we need to oppose something in order to be to be strong or to be true to ourselves. Um, <clears throat> non-binary thinking is stepping away from that opposition and seeing the larger context where you know there's both um where both things can exist and i can exist with all of my preferences and my beliefs and my meanness and someone else can exist with all of their preferences and beliefs and their themness and (laughs) and that there's um there's actually some harmony there and that my truth is my truth and their truth is their truth and the larger truth includes both of our truths. Mm -hmm. So this is really helpful for me when I am moving through something like, you know, even shedding the diet culture mentality, Mm. how do I still maintain compassion for people who are stuck in it and maybe spewing out things that seem really toxic, Mm -hmm. right? Maybe people who are, you know, fat shaming others. Like how do I, approach those people from a place of non-binary thinking, meaning like I'm going to have compassion for this other person who's having an experience that clearly involves a lot of pain. If they are putting that kind of anger and toxicity onto other people. Mm. So this is just what my personal view on how to interact with others and how to navigate other perspectives or like interacting with other perspectives this has been immensely helpful because it it gets me into a place where i can have like a bird's eye view and compassion Mm. for all beings including myself so it's it's a place where i could say i'm honoring my truth and i'm also i'm not like backing down and saying oh yeah your truth is 
is uh, more true than mine. Like that's not true. That's not what I'm saying. Um, but it's like, I want to be in a place where my truth can coexist with other truths yeah. and we can actually have a dialogue that's harmonious and helpful. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think that's really important because often, like we said before, diet culture is so subtle and it's so quiet. So I think a lot of people can be kind of engaging in those sort of behaviours or spewing different bits of information, but not realise that they're engaging in diet culture. So if you start saying to someone, oh my god, I can't believe you're doing that, that's so annoying, like, do you know that you're perpetuating eating disorders and you're making everything worse? That's not going to help them because it's really, like, aggressive. Whereas if you just kind of have a conversation with someone about you know why do you believe that or where did that stem from and is that actually what you think or is it something that you're kind of being inflicted to think I think that approach is a lot more healthy and helpful and helps people see alternative perspectives as well totally that's such a good point absolutely it's like asking questions instead of making accusations yeah that's exactly exactly it and it also made me think of how I talk to my myself how I talk to my body Mm. like when I was entrenched in diet culture it was like I was trying to hate myself into loving myself I'm just like I'm gonna love my body once it's like 10 pounds lighter or whatever you know it's like I was like the goal was self-love but the route I was taking was like anti-self-love and so I think the same thing happens when you're like oh that the perspective you have is bad is bad and it's whatever it's like okay whoa you're pointing fingers at the person pointing fingers and then it's just a finger war instead of like hey buddy what do you what are you doing (laughs) yeah and I think what you know what you were saying about kind of I'll like myself when I'm x y or z it it's such a difficult one because I am such a believer in um you know like progression and making yourself a better person and stuff like that but when it comes down to making yourself smaller or sometimes it's making yourself bigger whatever when it's surrounding the way that you look I think you know from personal experience it just doesn't work because you get you create a goal in your head you reach that goal but by the time you've reached it you're already on to the next goal because you've seen somebody else that has something else that you want and it's this constant battle of just never being quite good enough um mm, and I think mm-hmm. it's that you just comp- constantly comparing yourself to others and never take a step back to think actually looking at yourself and thinking what is good about me here in the now and you know we can actually be happy with what this is here yes exactly exactly like as as long as we're improving to reach some sort of uh, place to reach that place we're putting that place in the future it's like perpetually in the future I think Brene Brown says like we get trapped in hustling for our worthiness. And so we're constantly, the present moment is just the hustle because the worthiness is out there in the future. Mm -hmm. But when we bring that worthiness into the present, all of a sudden we're already there. Mm -hmm. And then anything we want to do from that point of feeling whole and complete and worthy and loved, that's great. You know, do what you want to do. But know that you're already worthy. You don't need to do anything to earn any yeah. anything. Absolutely. And I think when you do focus your goals on just body image, 
I don't think you ever really feel worthy but when you actually look within and focus on who you are I think that's when you really do start to think actually maybe I am pretty good yeah like realize the miracle that you are like you're the (laughs) only person that has ever been you and that could ever be you and like you're freaking killing it at being you (laughs) that's your only job here yeah that's so true I saw on your website that you talk about like um using energy work and kind of people finding their inner wisdom so why do you think that's important when people are recovering from an eating disorder Mm. I feel like eating disorders are the antithesis of drawing from your inner wisdom. It's mm-hmm. like, um, so for me, it was a really, really powerful gateway into waking up to realizing, whoa, I'm out of alignment. Mm. Whoa, my my center is somewhere outside of me. I'm giving power over to these other ideas, to my diet tracking app, to my, all of this stuff I'm giving my power over to. And when you're in a place of willingness like that, meaning like, oh, I'm seeing how much I've given my power away, you're actually in the perfect position to drop all of that surrender and come back to your true authenticity, to your true voice and discover who you really are, what you really feel lit up by. Mm. Yeah. The reason why I see the link to eating disorder recovery or really any recovery, anytime you find yourself in a place where what you've been doing no longer works for you, you're in a perfect place to be guided back to yourself and be and so I love working with people who are in a big transition like that because they want themselves so badly Mm -hmm. most people don't realize that they're far away from themselves if they have a lot of external success right Mm -hmm. if they have it's like well I've got a great job I've got a great marriage I've got a great whatever and like that's great if that's really fulfilling But oftentimes a big wake up call can happen like, okay, all of a sudden the job goes away and now I don't know who I am anymore. Mm. All of a sudden the relationship goes away and I don't know who I am anymore. Um, All of a sudden I realize I've been eating in a way that's not helpful for me and I'm, you know, developing obsessive food thoughts and disordered eating and stuff. That's not helpful anymore. That's not me. And it's like this wake up call that calls you back to yourself, that calls you inward. And yeah, I just find that to be a really, really beautiful opening for sitting more deeply in, in ourselves. Yeah. And I suppose, you know, what you were saying about um, the job goes and you don't know who you are anymore. I think often a lot of people, when they come to recovering from an eating disorder, are kind of like, oh, who will I be without my eating disorder? Like it, it's so encapsulating that it, it does become your personality and you kind of think, well, if I've not my eating disorder, who am I? And you know, the eating disorder controls, it feels like all your thoughts and it's so loud that you don't have any of your own thoughts. So am I even going to be able to process things anymore? And it's that, it's that element of control of, well, 
if the eating disorder's not here, then who's going to stop me from going babysitting and eating every single item in the pantry? Things like that. It's, it's, I think that's the fear, isn't it, when you step into recovery of knowing what you're going to be without it. Totally. Yeah. That's really powerful. Who am I going to be without this eating disorder? And the fear totally, I totally understand the fear. It's like a part of you is going to die, but it's the part of you that's not you. And yeah, one thing that one of my favorite um, spiritual teachers, Matt Kahn said once was um, like, yeah, because basically this seems, it, it kind of seems like, am I going to like me? Like, am I going to like who I am after this? <laughs> and and uh, one time he said this, and I just love it. He was like, if you don't like you, it just means you don't know you yet. And I love that. Yeah, because you, you're going to like you. <laughs> like when you are, when you let yourself be you, when you let yourself say what's true for you, when you let yourself dance when you want to dance and paint when you want to paint and, and be the youest version of yourself, you're going to feel really, really good. Yeah. And it also, yeah, you're going to, there might be some fear that happens before you feel really, really good and it's worth it. And I think that's so right. And I think I really like the fact that you said about the fear there, because it, I think it's not an easy process to go from being so consumed in something to then being the real you. And often I think in eating disorders kind of, sometimes the reason people develop them is because they're not happy with who they are and they do want to change so it's that it's that extra fear of well the reason I started this was to become someone different so why do I want to go back to the person that I was before but actually that new person with all this strength that you've gained through recovering from an eating disorder is just like you know a force to be reckoned with that's such a good point yeah it's not about it's, this is not about going back to who you were before you had this. Yeah, this is actually becoming a new, a totally new version of yourself that you've never seen before. And the funny thing is, yeah, if the eating disorder was developed because you wanted to be a new person, you're actually going to get there. Yeah. It's just you're taking the long route and that's okay. But like eating disorders are like taking the long route to being yourself yeah. because it's like, okay... I think I need to have a rock bottom experience that I need to ba bounce back from and then be show myself. I need to show myself how resilient I am. Mm. You know, I don't I don't recommend this path to anyone, but I'm just letting you know if you're here, your soul's got you. Your soul yeah. has you right on track. It's just like, okay, this human is stubborn. We're going to take him down and and bounce him back up. It's yeah. okay. I think that's such a fantastic way of putting it in that it might not feel great now. And we don't recommend it, but if it is where you are, you won't be the same person as when you started because you have learned so much. So I think that has been such a wonderful conversation and I feel so inspired. But I just wanted to ask as a final question. So obviously this podcast aims to motivate and inspire people struggling with eating disorders, which I think you will have done today because I just think everything you've said has been so... I don't know what the word for it is, but kind of like relaxing and comforting and just really, mm. it's just been really nice to, to listen to what you've got to say. But as a kind of 
overall, what would you say is your top tip or best advice for somebody looking for the motivation to recover from their eating disorder? That's a great question. And probably one I should have prepared for before now. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's better answering in the moment. Absolutely. Hmm. Okay. And that's where my answer comes. My top tip. So your question is like for people who want to find the willingness to recover. Here it is. The feeling that you have, like think back to a time when you really felt like yourself. Mm-hmm. When you really felt like this is me. Just visualize that. Like close your eyes, get into this feeling of, yes, I know that this is who I am. Maybe you're with a certain person or you're doing a certain activity that you love. Or if you're a performer, you're on stage. If you're an artist, you're painting. If you're a chemical engineer, you're chemical engineering. I don't know, (laughs) whatever it is that makes you feel like the best version of you maybe this was from childhood, maybe you haven't felt like this since you were three years old. That is what's possible in recovery. You can feel like that all the time. And all it takes is just being present with yourself in this moment and in this moment and in this moment and in this moment and and choosing to make a decision that honors that person, that person you were when you felt like you were your best self. That's who you're doing this for. Mm You might not feel like that person right now, and that's totally okay. Admitting that to yourself will probably bring you at least a, 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 millis, a millimeter closer. And so, yeah, that's what I would say. Well, I like that a lot. So thank you very much for sharing that. That was very, uh, very lovely to say you thought of it on the spot. So, yeah, thank you. <laughs> and just before you go, obviously we've been speaking about your fantastic book. So where can we go to find out more about your book? Sure. Um, well, if you want to find my Instagram account, which is where I've been sharing a lot more writings and cartoons and, and things like that. So you can get a feel for the style that's at fed up the book on Instagram. And you can also go to my website, katiebarbaro.com slash fed up. And both of those places have links where you can pre-order the book. We are, um, we're in our soft launch phase right now, our soft pre-launch phase. And um, the book's going to be available in hard copy starting May 6th. Wow. How exciting. Well, good luck with it all. And thank you so much for joining me today. It has been really lovely to speak with you. So, yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Hannah. I feel full of beans and it's a delight to be here. Thank you for having me. I really hope after listening to that podcast with Katie, you're as excited as I am for her book launch. I have read a copy and honestly, each page is filled with so much creativity, so much humour. It kind of makes you think, wow, I can't believe that someone else has experienced these things the same as me, but it's really comforting to know that people have. Next week, I'll be joined by Katie Avis, who is a registered associate nutritionist, and she joins us to talk about her journey with anorexia, but focusing a lot on support, so the support that she received, but also giving you some tips and tricks if somebody you know is suffering with an eating disorder and how you can provide loving support to them. And even if at the start you can't do it for yourself, do it for those people that you love because sooner or later you will be so glad you did and when you get to the other side 
it's so much brighter, it's so lovely, and it's just amazing to be free again. You definitely won't want to miss next week's episode, so to ensure you are one of the first to listen to it, please do click subscribe. Please also comment, like, and share this podcast to help us reach those individuals who really need some support at the moment, not only sufferers, but also to their loved ones, as it can be a very distressing time. Eating disorders are crippling illnesses, and this podcast aims to motivate individuals along their path of recovery, as well as increasing awareness. For further support, please visit the BEAT website or speak to your local GP. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week. Bye!